Hello and welcome to another week of the days that music died right here for our at-home sessions and of course the first ever summer series for our brand new um, kind of addition uh, part of the show, the days that music died summer series. I'm your host Caleb here as always. Um, I hope you all are well and all are staying safe throughout these times. It, it looks like things uh, could be getting a little closer to normal uh, in a sense in the next few weeks or so, but um, continue to practice social distancing, wearing a mask um, when it when times call for it, and uh, simply just uh, being as, as careful and safe as you can be. So I, I wish you all the best of luck with that. But let's go ahead and get started. But before we really hop into what life was like and we, and we get our time traveling caps on, let's go ahead and quick reminder to like us on Facebook right here at The Days That Music Died. And of course, like us on Twitter at The Days That Music Died as well. We are on Twitter now. I'm, I'm starting to try to get better at that. That is one of my goals this summer is to really work on that and work on uh, the Twitter page of, of sorts. So that, that's something that uh, I'm, fingers crossed, bear with me, I will get better at. But uh, um, to like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and of course, check out our podcast, which at the end of every show, at the end of the day, that podcast will be up there um, on the Facebook page page and where you can listen to. You can listen to that on Anchor uh, Podcasts. You can listen to that on to Google Podcasts. You can listen to that on Spotify Podcasts. You can listen to that on a lot of different apps. I believe there's six or seven different choices, which is really awesome. So you can check out the uh, today's audio right there um, as soon as I get that posted, usually around the five o'clock hour. But let's go ahead and get our time traveling caps on. Let's get our thinking caps on as well. Let's go back in time to the year 2017. So what was life like in 2017? Well, not too long ago, three years ago now, 2017. Well, the inflation rate in the United States was about 1.7%. The federal base rate was 1.25%. The unemployment rate was 4.3%. And, and this is a time where um, the un unemployment rate is starting to lower. It's not as high as it once was between 2008 to 2012, 2013 or so. We're really starting to get that lower since now. And then, of course, right now it's, it's skyrocketed because of everything going on. But but even though it's you know with that three four year difference you have you have an understanding of what life is like then to now it's different, and so um, that unemployment rate is was definitely lower in 2017. The Dow Jones was 21,987. Something that I found that that was kind of neat a new statistics uh, is the electric kilowatts per hour was roughly 13.20 cents. Um, so that's that's a little new statistic there. An average house cost was $371,200. The average house rent was $1,600. Uh, postage stamp was about 49 cents. A movie ticket was roughly $8.86. A, uh, a pair of Wrangler jeans was $16 or so. A gallon of gas was two forty-three. Tide detergent was twelve ninety-six. A pound of ground beef was four ninety-six. Jack's frozen pizza was two ninety-eight. A twelve-pack of water was two forty-eight. A twenty-four-pack of Coke was seven sixty-eight. A dozen of eggs was sixty-eight cents. A pound of bacon was 
was 4.48, a gallon of milk was 3.12, a pound of potatoes was 78 cents, and a loaf of bread was $1.98. All in 2017. Big events that happened in the year 2017. Well, the biggest event that kind of happened and really has shaped a lot what life is like today is Trump's inauguration. And that's something that really ties in into this week's featured artist because th this week's featured artist actually did something to do with the inauguration, but uh, on the anti side of the inauguration which we'll briefly touch on later on in the show but we have this tough talk on immigration also going on in 2017 not only with the world overall but especially in the country and especially with trump with after trump be you know gains the presidency we really have this tough talk on immigration occurring uh, we have the election meddling uh, different things happening with russia with the um, supposed tampering that russia did with the election we have the different fights within Obamacare, Trump saying this isn't, you know, this shouldn't be happening, and, and the Democrats trying to uh, sustain it of sorts, and Obamacare ends up falling apart um, after Obama uh, is um, leaves office. The North Korea missile launch, a, a large looming threat that North Korea was going to bomb the U.S. throughout 2017. We have the women's rights movement, uh, which further led the Me Too movement, um, which happened right around the time that Trump was inaugurated. I, I believe that week or so is really when it started in 2017. And uh, so you have this big movement happening and still continuing to this day three years later. You have the fake news campaign, very important throughout 2017 and 2018. You have uh, Snapchat enters a stock market. Out of all apps, Snapchat enters the stock market, but immediately in its first week loses a lot, um, goes down into the negatives. Uh, the NFL anthem protests throughout 2017. Patriots pull off the largest Super Bowl comeback against the Falcons in history in 2017. We have the Confederate monuments, um, several com Confederate monuments fall uh, this year. The Las Vegas shooting in uh, later on in 2017. The opioid epidemic uh, during throughout this year. The artificial intelligence and Facebook, um, different things that are going on throughout this time. The pipeline protests with the Keystone XL and Dakota access, um, the Paris Climate Agreements, which of course the U.S. denies entry. Solar eclipse happens in August, I believe August 22nd of 2017. The global wildfires all, all, all across the globe, I should say. Um, and then um, record-setting hurricane season in 2017 as well. And this is a year that I, I remember just watching the news and almost being afraid because there's so many different things happening, whether it be with nature, the environment, or whether it be with the government be, being something scary happening all kinds of crazy things are happening throughout this year and then you have bigger things in sports that are happening as well and it really was um just crazy uh, all the different things that happened throughout 2017 and that of course leads us to unfortunately a couple deaths that happened in this year especially within this genre of music but it really starts off with none other than today's focus chris cornell now, Christopher John Boyle was born on July 20th, 1964 in Seattle, Washington 
to Edward F. Boyle, an Irish Catholic pharmacist, and Kara and Karen Cornell, an accountant and self-proclaimed psychic of Jewish descent. After his parents' divorce as a teenager, he and his siblings adopted his mother's maiden name, Cornell. And Cornell was actually one of six six children, two older brothers, and three younger sisters. He attended Christ the King Catholic Elementary School, where he performed for the first time with the 1960s anti-war song, One Ten Soldier. He later attended Shorewood High School and was pulled from Catholic school along with his sister by his mother when they were about, uh, almost expelled for being too inquisitive. Um, Cornell basically figured out some inconsistencies with the, within the religion and uh, began to question them and his sister as well. And so uh, his mother pulled them out of school at this time. Cornell's musical influences ranged from Little Richard to the Beatles. Uh, he was, described himself as a loner during his teenage years and dealt with his anxiety through rock music. He spiraled into a severe depression around this time, ultimately dropped out of school, and almost never left the house. Uh, at the age of 12, Cornell actually had access to alcohol, weed, LSD, mushrooms, and prescription drugs. By the age of 13, he was using them daily. He ultimately stopped for a year at the age of 14, and then began at the age of 15 again until he turned to music. He had a bad PCP experience uh, around the age of 14, which led him to suffer a panic disorder and agoraphobia, which ultimately led him to um, take a year off or so until he got back into it at the age of 15. Cornell took piano and guitar lessons as a kid. His mother saved his life when she bought him a snare drum, uh, the instrument that actually started the path towards his becoming a rock musician. So throughout this time, you have you have Cornell discovering music. You have Cornell discovering what what actually makes him keeps him sane, keeps him keeps him sane, and really allows him to um, continue living in a sense. And uh, then his mother, he's he's having piano and guitar lessons, and he's continuing to listen to rock music. And then his mother pitches in and buys him a snare drum. And, and the drums is really what led him to the beginning of his rock and roll career into the grunge rock scene. Uh, and so this is just kind of the beginning of Chris Cornell, of who we know as Chris Cornell. He worked as a busboy, a dishwasher, a fishmonger, and a sous chef all in Seattle um, in process and in the lead up to the beginnings of Soundgarden. Soundgarden formed in 1984 by Cornell, uh, who played the drums and sang lead vocals at this time, lead guitarist Kim Faley, and bassist Hiro Yamamoto. In 1985, they enlisted the drummer Scott Sunquist to allow Cornell to focus on vocals. Sunquist ultimately dis decided to leave the band in 1986 to spend time with his family and was replaced by Matt Cameron for Skin Yard, who had been who came from Skinyard and later Pearl Jam as well um, he played with. He, uh, Soundgarden signed a Sub Pop and released the Screaming Life EP in 1987 and the Fog EP in 1988. Though major labels had an interest, they ultimately signed with independent label SST Records in 1988 to release their debut record. Ultra Mega OK, which was the title of this debut record, for which they earned a Grammy nomination for Best Metal Performance. Later they signed to A&M Records and became the first grunge band to sign to a major label. 
1989, they released their second album, Louder Than Love. Following this, Yamamoto left the band and was replaced by former Nirvana guitarist Jason Everman, but fired, uh, but was actually fired after 19 after the 1990 tour, and new bassist Ben Shepard joined the band. Soundgarden quickly became one of the best successful bands with this new lineup um, from Seattle's emerging grunge scene in the early 1990s. The new lineup recorded Bad Motor Finger in 1991, which included singles Rusty Cage, Outshined, and Jesus Christ Jesus Christ Pose. Uh, the band gained considerable airplay on alternative rock radio stations at this time and exposed the band to the first its first mainstream success and was nominated for Best Metal Performance at the Grammys in 1992. Soundgarden's fourth studio album, 1994 Super Unknown, proved to be their breakthrough album and quite possibly their best record. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It launched several successful singles, including Spoonman and Black Hole Sun, and brought the band international recognition. The album, album re- reached, uh, the album achieved quintuple platinum status in the U.S. and triple platinum status in Canada and gold status in the U.K., Sweden, and the Netherlands. The album was nominated for Best Rock Album at the Grammys in 1995, and its two aforementioned singles won Grammy Awards. The music video for Black Hole Sun won an MTV music, Video Music Award and a Clio Award. The band's fifth studio album was 1996's self-produced Down on the Upside which spawned singles such as Burden in My Hand and Pretty Noose. The album was notably less heavy compared to the earlier works, and the band wanted to experiment with other sounds for this record. Tensions within within the group arose between Thaley, Thaley and Cor- Cornell. Internal strife over its creative discussion, um, Soundgarden officially announced it would be disbanding on April 9th, 1997. By January 1st, 2010, though, uh, Cornell actually alluded to a Soundgarden reunion on his Twitter account. In March 2010, the band announced they'd be headlining Lollapalooza 2010. The band toured North America in 2011, released a single for the Avengers movie soundtrack in 2011-2012, and released their sixth record, King Animal in 2012 to largely positive reviews. The band had been working on another album until Cornell's passing. They have officially dissolved again, but are trying to complete their seventh album with Cornell's Master Files, uh, albeit w- being withheld from their use. Um, so still this day, they're trying to create, uh, or I should say complete, the seventh studio record, but have been unable to do so because of being withheld from receiving the master files for Cornell that for Cornell that had been recorded already for the songs that they have written. Um, and, and so you have this this disconnect here where the band is trying to do something, but they, they aren't able to do it. And you kind of get this sense through a lot of different times throughout Cornell's career or for different bands and such that are now being withheld from the different bands. I, I mean, you get this a little bit later in the sense with the band Audio Slave and everything they that they, they wanted to do things, but they um, unfortunately... Cornell passed away, and and even after that, they've wanted to do things, but they've kind of been kept away from doing certain things um, throughout this time. But talking about Cornell's solo career, a very very long, extensive solo career that Cornell had. Cornell actually began working on a solo album in 1998, and uh, this album was released on September 21st, 1999, titled Euphoria Morning. 
The album's tour was successful, although the record itself was commercially unsuccessful. Can't Change Me, the album single, the album single was nominated for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance at the 2000 Grammys. It's noted that the record was influenced by Jeff Buckley, um, who is a close friend of Cornell, and his, uh, Jeff Buckley's songwriting and distinctive vocal style. June 5th, 2007, Cornell released his second solo record, Carry On, and it debuted at number 17 on the American Billboard chart. So you think, okay, 1998, you know, 1999 to 2007, that's a long period of time. Okay, well, yes, you have this long period of time, but there's a reason, and that's where Audio Slave comes into place. And that's where Audio Slave becomes a factor in the Cornell's career, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. It debuted at number 17 on the American Billboard charts. It appeared, uh, Cornell actually appeared as support for Aerosmith's 2007 tour, uh, which he played music by Soundgarden, Audio Slave, and his solo career. Cornell actually hired musicians that were capable of playing all three, well-rounded enough to do so, is what he was um, reported of saying. Cornell was always writing, uh, so he had a lot of songs written um, that didn't make Soundgarden or Audio Slave records in the past, which ultimately made his solo records for him. Cornell worked with producer Timbaland for his third studio record, Scream, which was released on March 10th, 2009. The, ar- the album was largely panned by critics and reached number 10 on the Billboard charts, the highest of Cornell's solo career. In fact, Cornell called it a highlight of his career, and Timbaland predicted that Cornell would become the first rock star in the club. And that's what it sounds like. It really, uh, you listen to this album and you think, okay, you've got this weird collection of sounds. You've got Cornell's just incredible, raspy, grungy vocals of sorts mixed in with this this club beat, very hip-hop, mid-2000s hip-hop R&B-esque tune. And this groove and... uh, Boom! It you know you could you could hear it. Part of me, especially, is a tune you could you could hear in the club, and you would dance. It's like this is a groovy tune, and uh, it really is kind of this first time where a rock star is being featured in the club, where a rock star is gaining notoriety outside of just their respective genre, their respective um, I, I suppose genres, but at the same time really hitting it other places and Cornell. I think this is a interesting collaboration and quite possibly one of the most interesting points of Cornell's career because Cornell is not continuing to do the same thing. He's doing different things throughout his career, especially with his solo career, especially with this record Scream. He is collabing with a hip hop, soul, pop, R&B producer Timbaland, one that has gained a lot of notoriety, one that has had a lot of success with different artists such as Justin Timberlake. And this is important because Cornell now is stepping into the scene. Cornell having the opportunity to work with Timbaland and create something that you would have never expected either one to do. Timbaland is collabing with a rock star. This said rock star, Chris Cornell, is collaborating with a hip-hop producer. Who would have thunk? Yet, it's kind of genius. And it works out for them, for the most part. It may not have been some hugely 
successful where everyone was talking about it, but it was a successful record, and obviously it reached number 10 at one point, the highest in his solo career. And so this this is something to say there, too. And that then goes into Cornell's last studio uh, solo album, which was Higher Truth, which was released on September 18th, 2015. The last solo release was The Promise um, for Cornell, for Cornell, which was written for the same title movie about the Armenian genocide. Cornell committed all proceeds from the song to support refugees and vulnerable children. And in 2019, Cornell won a Grammy for When Bad Does Good for the Best Rock Performance category, which was a song released after his death, um, which is also featured on this week's playlist for Cornell's featured show. Moving into Audio Slave. So we have Soundgarden. We have a lot of his solo career. And then we move into Audio Slave, kind of going back in time and a portion of when Audio Slave was created throughout Cornell's solo career. Audio Slave was actually formed after Zach De La Rocha left Rage Against Machine. Cornell was in the process of recording his second studio solo album when approached by the band. He ultimately shelved the process in order to work with Tom Morello, Tim Comerford, and Brad Wilk. The group wrote 21 songs during 19 days of rehearsal and started in the studio in May 2001. Their self-titled debut album was released in November 2002 and has reached triple platinum in the United States. The band was nearly derailed after Cornell's alcohol problems and a drug rehab stint, but the problems were ironed out and Cornell remained sober in order to tour through 2003 and start recording again in 2004. The second album for Audio Slave was titled Out of Exile, released in May 2005, and debuted at number one on the U.S. charts. Cornell admitted to writing his most personal songs ever on this record, influenced by positive changes in his life since 2002. Uh, they relied heavy, li- relied less heavy on guitar riffs and fe- featured more of a variety from the debut. The record was re- received more favorably than their debut. Cornell's vocals seemed stronger since quitting drinking and smoking and sounded like their own band. So Audio Slave is becoming more popular. Audio Slave is really having a newfound success of sorts throughout this time. Audio Slave is, is growing their popularity. And so you have what Soundgarden once was, and then you have what Rage Against Machine once was. And this is important because now you, you don't just have what they once were, but you have something you have something different. And um, I think that really is important for analyzing this and analyzing the the sound that the that audio slave ultimately creates in the end. And that leads into the third record for the band Revelations, which was released in September 2006 after writing most of the music throughout their last tour. It was influenced by 60s and 70s funk and R&B music. So after the last tour, they ultimately go right back in the studio and start recording again. They come out with this new record that's a lot different from anything else. And um, it really shows just how unique Audio Slave was and how Audio Slave was their own band. You have this time where, again, as, as I was trying to say, Audio Slave is their own band. Ultimately, they might have been influenced a little bit by Rage Against Machine and by Soundgarden. But in the end, they're being influenced by themselves. They're no longer an amalgamation of sorts of these two bands. Instead, they are their own band. They have their own sound. They they are they are finally developing their own thing. And, and this is really, really important and integral to Audio Slave and to 
both respective sides as well. They, they are establishing themselves as their own thing. And that's really important to, to touch on. Really important there. All the band's lyrics were actually written by Cornell, but all four members were credited with writing the music. The process was more collaborative than um, past works for both respective sides, and Cornell's works were more apolitical, and Morello actually referred to them as haunted existential poetry, the, the different lyrics that Audio Slave came out with for their songs at this time. Ultimately, Audio Slave officially disbanded in 2007, but they reunited for a show in January 2017 to protest Trump's inauguration. The band was up to a reunion, but none of them had time due to other reunions that they were a part of, different groups that they had started, and other solo projects that they all had. So now you have what I mentioned earlier with Cornell in the, the Trump inauguration, this anti-inauguration they performed for. To protest it, they're they're not a part. They're not for it, and so they protest the inauguration. They're up for doing other things. Cornell actually publicly states, like, we would love to do it. Unfortunately, we're just all busy right now, doing a Rage Against Machine reunion, doing a, just doing a Soundgarden reunion, working on solo career stuff, not only for him but for Morello and other members of Rage Against Machine. So you have this going on as well. So they're all busy, and Cornell just wants to kind of spend time with his family throughout this time as well and that's a big thing um going into going into its place of sorts that's going on so audio slave unfortunately never gets back together even though they really do plan on doing so just months later cornell unfortunately passes away but we have other works with chris cornell all kinds of different things that he's doing within his solo career within side projects within groups he's collaborating with but then one of the big probably the next bigger group that he has any part of is temple of the dog which is this mega group between pearl jam and Soundgarden, this mashup of sorts that was created after uh, a good friend of both of theirs uh passed away within the 90s and so you have this incredible mega grunge band in, in the mid to late 90s coming out called Temple of the Dog with Cornell leading most of the vocals with Eddie Vedder you know coming in from time to time and it's it's just incredible really what's what's happening throughout this time and talk about the music for for these bands for Chris Cornell in general and let's let's talk about the playlist which I will post now on the chat section and so um, I had to start off with probably one of my favorite tunes for Cornell's solo career, and that is none other than Nearly Forgot My Broken Heart. Um, there's some very popular tunes from the Soundgarden days. There's Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog. Um, there's a couple Audio Slave tunes. There's Santana and Chris Cornell and Whole Lot of Love. Um, lots of different live um, renditions of songs that I, I felt felt like was very important. Um not only because a lot of these bands were, you know, renowned for being so good live, and this was a time where grunge was just so good and, and so popular with going to see live. And then, of course, different covers of songs, and I think that's really important as well, and that's something I, I really want to touch on. Nothing Compares to You, live cover of, of Prince's classic tune that Cornell just, it's a haunting, hypnotic tune that's just so beautiful and simple, yet it's incredible just incredible really billy jean the cover of, of michael jackson's famous you know hit he chris cornell covers and just 
does it more justice than you would ever have imagined. I, I mean, it's incredible with, with the guy's talent that he had and the things that he could do. And so you really have, I really try to, I guess, put this sense within um, the playlist for Chris Cornell of all the different things that Cornell could do, his his um his talent that he possessed, his songwriting, his, his vocals, the range, the range that he had that was so, so large. I really tried this four octave range. I really tried to um, put that throughout the playlist. And so I do hope you enjoy that playlist. You go ahead, check that out and listen to it. If you do so choose, I've been listening to it a lot and I've really enjoyed it. And so I, I hope you do as well. But all kinds of new music, um, kind of at the end, some, some of my, personal tunes uh when bad does good had to put that on there not only is it the last tune released uh for cornell's solo career but also just a really good tune it really is um redemption song with chris and his daughter tony live at beacon theater black hole sun quite possibly the the most famous biggest most popular tune by soundgarden put that right at the end um stargazer live at the paramount theater in seattle with temple of the dog um burden in my hand by soundgarden some good tunes all around um be yourself by audio slave shape of things to come by audio slave quite possibly one of their biggest tunes throughout their time as a band spoon man i mean the list just goes on and on and on it's it's a little over our playlist and, and so it, it really really encaptures all sorts of of different styles that Cornell had and really just all different levels and, and layers that Cornell executed for the music industry and for himself to us. And so I really try to put that on the playlist. But let's go and move into Chris Cornell's tragic day. On May 18, 2017, around 12.15 a.m., Cornell was found unconscious by his bodyguard in the bathroom of his hotel room at the MGM Grand in Detroit, Michigan, after, after performing at a show with Soundgarden at the Fox Theater on May 17th. Cornell was laying on the floor with an exercise band around his neck and blood in his mouth. Paramedics were unable to revive Cornell, unfortunately, and Cornell was pronounced dead by a doctor at 1.30 a.m. at the age of 52. The cause of death was officially ruled a suicide by hanging. No foul play was with video footage of anyone entering or exiting his room was discovered. On June 2, 2017, the Wayne County Medical Examiner released its autopsy and toxicology report and the death of Cornell. The medical examiner confirmed that the cause of death was hanging and the manner of death was ruled as suicide, adding that Cornell's injuries were all consistent with hanging partially suspended by the resistance exercise band. And that drugs did not contribute to the cause of death. Only prescription medications and therapeutic doses were found in Cornell's system. The sedative uh, butobitol, commonly prescribed from the treatment of headaches, four doses of the anti-anxiety medication lorazepam, also known as Ativan, the decongestant pseudophedrine, and its metabolite, a long word caffeine that I'm not going to even try, um, from no-dos tablets that Cornell had ingested and nalazone used to reverse opioid overdoses, which was reportedly administered by emergency personnel upon their arrival at the scene. 
No pills were found in Cornell's stomach, and Cornell's widow actually stated that the Ativan was prescribed to him in 2016 as a sleep aid. Photos from Cornell's hotel room showed that his prescription for Ativan was one tablet every 12 hours. Cornell's widow actually believes it was prescription drugs that slurred Cornell's speech and allowed for him to become suicidal. Throughout the, the days leading to his death, Cornell's widow, as well as bandmates and um, his bodyguard as well, all believed that he was acting differently, slurred speech, very weird, unlike his normal. And so um, his widow believes that this had to do with his suicidal thoughts and all the, the different problems that he was exhibiting days leading up to his death. Although Cornell had been open about his depression and suicidal thoughts for years as well. And so first off, you have just a few days ago, the three-year anniversary for Cornell for Cornell's death date, May 18th, 2017. And um, I really wanted to touch on this and um, in this show. I, and I, I that was kind of the biggest one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to feature Chris Cornell for this for this week's show is because his death date just happened, and I thought it was a perfect time. And I, I've done I did that with uh, Tom Petty's birthday, I believe, last semester. And this is this is something when it works out this way, I think it um, is a tribute to them a little bit more, and it really allows for um, us to really memorialize and, and think about the artist as well and so that just a few days ago he passed away and then also tacking on the the fact that you have you have cornell's widow his wife thinking that it has to be something with advent has to be something with the, the different pres prescription medications that he's been giving yet he's the police are, are very you know adamant like are you I, maybe but at the same time he's been very open about his um, depression about his suicidal thoughts he's been very open about trying to become better ab about his uh, abuses addictions um, everything that's happening yet you know it, this could be a factor but at the same time you have this pretty obvious factor that simply meant that he, he was ready he was at that he was at that verge that point and so it really is still up in the air to this day you have the one side of thinking that oh maybe it was a medication that pushed him to the breaking point or it was simply that he he was at the breaking point physically and mentally as well and so, and so that that uh, unfortunately is a discussion to be had and one that we may never know the answer and in fact I don't think we ever will and so that is really unfortunate um his older brother, Peter, actually started up a campaign to raise awareness on depression and suicide prevention. Unfortunately, within days of releasing this campaign and releasing a website, Peter starts receiving a lot of flack, a lot of hate mail of sorts, hate comments as well. And um, it kind of leads you to believe the society we live in of sorts, but Peter has to come out and say, you know, this is the objective of this, and you know he he had to sort of change the objective the objective to the campaign. But he's saying there's really no reason to if you think about it, because all I'm trying to do is simply promote awareness for this and, and show that this is something that we need. Yeah, you know th this is something that we need, and, and it's it's unfortunate that uh, this is happening. Um, that this this happened and I, I believe that he's still receiving some flag for it to this day but touching on Chris Cornell talking about everything and before we get into the one question which feel free to comment what your one question would be to ask Chris Cornell if you had the opportunity to talk to him once more if you had the opportunity to meet him sing a duet with him whatever it may be 
Let's talk about it. I really do feel that um, with what could have been, Chris Cornell would have... Man, I I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Chris Cornell was doing the Soundgarden reunion. I think ultimately they would have found a time to do the Audio Slave reunion. I think um, he would have continued to do things with solo his solo career, especially his recent record that he released, um, Higher Truth, in 2016, 2000, yeah, 2016, I believe. And and so you have you have Cornell really at a, a a good point, a high point in his career. But unfortunately, with his death being ruled a suicide, with his um with the speculation and being considered that it was strictly a suicide, um unfortunately, you know, who knows when it could have happened, uh, when what could have been. It could have been held off longer or it could have never happened, but who who really knows? So what could this you know, these types of what could have been's are tough. These these types of um Shows featuring these artists are, are tough as well because this is something, um, and it, it really is. It, it's tough. It's it's difficult to kind of put your head around how, what could have been here. And so I, I think with Cornell, if things would have held off, I, I think Cornell would have continued his family would have continued his his incredible run of being this rock star and just being so good and someone that so many people looked up to and unfortunately his death led to um, other singers deaths uh, including the lead singer of Linkin Park Chester Bennington who also committed suicide just months after his his longtime friend very dear friend Chris Cornell passed away and so this is um this is a year where we have two or th- actually three or four, I believe, um, deaths in the grunge punk rock world happening. And it all kind of spawns from Chris Cornell's um, passing. And it really is rough. And they all, they all took it hard. Of course they did. Of course. And I, I can't even imagine what um, Chris Cornell's family is still feeling to this day. And his, his daughter, Tony, actually took to youtube i believe or facebook live not too long ago at the beginning of this pandemic um if i do believe uh to be right um with a song of a cover of his i believe it was black hole song uh black hole sun and it is just a beautiful rendition by his daughter as you'll hear on the playlist at the end you have a redemption song cover by both tony and chris cornell and it's just it shows and she kind of starts it off saying you know, Dad, I, I love you, and this is for you, and it's just oh, beautiful, just really beautiful, and so this is tough, but one question, what would be the one thing you'd want to do with Chris Cornell, the one thing you'd ask Chris Cornell? Well, I'd I would uh, I'd want to duet with something with him, I, I don't know in particular, um, I, I do love the song Fell on Black Days, so maybe that by Soundgarden, um, but I really just, I, in reality, I just want to hear him sing, his vocals were, were insane, and just, just incredible. A four-octave vocal range. Wow, I wish. Um, but uh, really, though, ju- just amazing. I And I would want to talk about his songwriting process. And so my one question would be, what was constantly going through your mind when writing music? And with music in general, what was going through your mind? I think his mind is one of those things. And one of those, a lot of artists, he's one of those artists, artists specifically whose minds is just so intriguing and so vast and so unknowing of sorts we don't know exactly what's going through his mind but you want to know and so i'd love to hear what's going through his mind and uh especially when he was writing that that's something that i i would love to ask him if i ever had the opportunity to do so everything that he did was so poetic and creative and so it leads into this his songwriting process 
talking about it, asking him what's going through his mind. How does he come up with these things? Because a lot of this stuff, he's coming up with it. The music overall might be being contributed by the rest of the band as well. But the songwriting aspect, the title aspect, this is all him. This is him, his poetic justice, this incredible songwriter of Chris Cornell. This is all him. And so I, I think that's um, just wow, just really wow with him. Uh, he Just an incredible musician that we, we lost far too soon. His music will forever live in my heart, and I hope you all learn something from his music and from, from uh, his musical career. I know I certainly have. Um, but thanks for tuning in to this week's show. That is all I have. Quick reminder to tune in two weeks from now on Thursday, June 4th for our next show of the days that music died. We are beginning our summer series, so we're going to uh, transition into a bi-weekly show process, uh, show schedule, I should say. And so our next show will be June Fourth. Quick reminder to like us right here on Facebook at The Days That Music Died and to like us on Twitter at The Days That Music Died as well. And check out that playlist, which the audio will be here on the Facebook page after the show in an hour or two. So I hope you all enjoyed. Thanks for tuning in. Check out that playlist. I'll post it right here after the live stream is over. I hope you all are safe and safe and staying well. We'll catch you in two weeks from now. Thanks for tuning in.